I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9-to-5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Welcome to Lead with Impact. I hope you are having a great day. We have an exciting episode today. Leadership coach David Daniel will join us. David is an accomplished leadership coach who comes from an athletic background and he has applied many of those same disciplines and lessons that came from his athletic background to becoming a top leadership coach. And as you go through this interview, you will see why as he talks about his leadership model, his philosophies, and how we can apply them to help us in this complex world. So get a piece of paper out, get ready to take some notes. I know I did. And enjoy this interview with David Daniel. Welcome to Lead with Impact. Our guest today is leadership coach David Daniel. David is an accomplished triathlete and certified USA triathlon coach. While coaching athletes, David had an aha moment that led him down the path of being a leadership coach. He now holds multiple leadership certifications and is a coach to individuals and organizations. We're fortunate to have David with us today. Welcome, David, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you get to where you are now? Uh, it's a great, great way to start. So um, I, I think where I would start with that is about five years ago, uh, I was in a leadership position and uh, this leadership position was pretty new to me. And I pretty early recognized after taking it on that I was, my stress level was going up. Uh, I wasn't aware of how much it was going up, but um, I was just increasingly busy at work, uh, which made me increasingly busy at home. I had, a, at the time, a, about a four-year-old son. I think he was, Colton was four at the time. And my stress level increased so much that one night I was laying in bed with him as I put him to sleep. And I love doing this. I love to him to sleep at night. I sometimes play my guitar, but on this night I was just lying in bed with him and I was singing to him. And as I was singing, I was checking emails on my phone, which I'm sure is a familiar thing for people out there in the world because we're all so busy. But I was reading emails on my phone as I was singing to him. And I finished singing a song and I started to sing the next song. And he rolled over in bed and he looked at the phone and he looked at me and he said, Poppy, you just sang that song. And he rolled back over in bed and went to sleep. And so I had two, two thoughts that night, Brian. One was, how can I be more present in whatever it is that I'm doing? I want to be more present as a father, as a husband, as a boss, as an employee, as a son. Every role that I'm playing, I want to be more present. And then the second thing that came to me that night is, why am I not? What is it that's changed that's causing me to feel so overwhelmed, so stressed in my life? And I set out on that night um, on a learning journey that has continued until now. And my learning journey brought me to lots of wise mentors, 
lots of books that I've read, um, but really has been this journey of self-discovery for me that led me to uh, the fully integrated leadership coaching model, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. But that that story of lying in bed with Colden that night, that continues to be the thing that fuels me is this desire to be present and this understanding now of why we're not um, that has then transformed into helping other leaders. But my pathway has been really my own learning, uh, my own discovery about myself and the way that I show up to this complex world that you and I are going to talk about as we go through this conversation. So that's how I got started. That's an incredible story and certainly one we can all relate to. So you started this journey. Mm -hmm. Did it all go smoothly? Were there any struggles? Were there any hurdles you had to overcome? Yeah, lots of struggles. And, and I would say that the struggle is one that continues and will always be with me because it's the struggle of being a human being, um, being, a, being a human being in an increasingly complex world. So like I said, I sought out wise mentors, guides, um, classes, books, what is it that's happening to me and to us in the world? And I came to form three beliefs. And these three beliefs are really the core, the foundation of the fully integrated model. The first belief is that the world that we face today is increasingly complex. Uh, we're going to talk in just a few minutes about this VUCA acronym, which stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. But leaders today and individuals today, I, I, I want to make it clear, when I, when I say leadership, I, I don't think of leadership as positional. I think of leadership as situational. So, um, you know, like my wife, Ann, she is, she's a stay-at-home mom. She's a leader. She leads our home. So when I use the word leader, I just want to be clear to the listeners out there. It's not just, don't just think of the CEO leader. But the world that leaders face is increasingly complex. So that's the first belief. The second belief is our minds don't like complexity. Our brains are actually giant survival organs that were designed to do something very different than the technological world of today asked it to do. So that's the second belief is our minds don't like complexity. And the third belief is our minds can actually be retrained to thrive in complexity, but it requires this rigorous practice. So you asked about my struggles. My struggle was once I was aware of the complexity, once I was aware of the challenge of that today's world presents to us, the struggle was and continues to be the kind of evolutionary battle that we're fighting or, or kind of waging against that technological and innovative space that we're in as human beings. So it's how do I remain present in a world that continually challenges me to not be present, um, to be in the past or in the future. So my struggle continues to be how can I be as present as possible in every single moment uh, which helps us to thrive in that complexity. So that's that's the struggle. Well, I think it's one we can all identify with because there is so much, like you say, that wants to pull us out of the present moment. Now, you've mentioned the acronym VUCA a couple of times. Now, I'm an HR guy, so I know, I know VUCA, but a lot of our listeners might have never heard that acronym before. So could you sort of walk us through what VUCA is and why you talk so much about it? Yeah, absolutely. So VUCA was originally coined by the U.S. military in the 1990s or so. And it was, it was a term that came up when they realized their traditional tactics were not working against 
an enemy that was changing its tactics. So as global terror came on the market uh, as, as something that the, the military was working against, they recognized that the conditions that their soldiers were in were what they called VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And as the business world started to get hold of this, they started to recognize that a lot of those same things are happening in business. Now, I'm not pretending that we're in war, so I want to make sure that that analogy is not there, but that it is true that the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, and the ambiguity, when you lay these things out, they start to describe the new normal for a leader. So volatility is really about the, the pace of change and the turbulence. If you think, for instance, about about half of the most turbulent financial quarters have happened in the past 30 years. Um, they've happened since 2002. So if you look at the last 30 years, half of the most turbulent financial quarters have been since 2002. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about volatility is this constant pace of change. And just to bring it home for the, the listeners, when we think about it in a, in a business setting, we're interrupted on average about every two minutes as human beings today. We're interrupted by someone coming into our office. We're interrupted by a phone call coming in, an email, a text, a tweet, whatever it is. We've got dings and, and bells and all kinds of things going off around us and people coming in and wanting us. So this volatility, the change that comes up, we can't quite see where it's coming from. So that's the volatility. The uncertainty is the lack of predictability in the events that we're dealing with. So we no longer can use the past as a predictor of the future. So that makes it quite difficult to make decisions and know what is the right thing to do. So that's the uncertainty part of it. The complexity is there are difficult to understand causes and effects, and our minds really don't like that. Our minds like a simple cause-effect story. But in complexity, because there is so much connection between us and other people, we don't know where the change is coming from. We don't know what's causing things to happen. And that makes it quite difficult for us to predict what to do. And then ambiguity is the lack of clarity about the meaning of events. Uh, who, what, where, when, how, and why are things happening? And it becomes a lot harder to ascertain, again, that cause and effect. So VUCA begins to describe for us the new normal in our lives, um, especially when it comes to, to leadership. So that's, that's why I talk a lot about VUCA and why the clients that I work with almost all of our calls start off with, how's it going? And they say, I'm dealing with a lot of VUCA right now. So it, <laughs> it's something people are, are familiar with. And the interesting part about that to me is as a leader, you not only have to worry about your own VUCA, but the VUCA of everybody on your team, mm -hmm. because you may have a team member in one place one day that reports back to the team the second day in a totally different place because of the uncertainty, uncertainty, volatility, ambiguity in their lives. So those are those little changes you, you have to adjust to on top of your own uncertainty in your life. Exactly. And you, and you add to that, Brian, that there are paradigms that leaders are operating in. So paradigms are these closely held beliefs that are so closely held we don't even we don't even talk about them. It's just the way things are. One of the paradigms that I find that leaders are, are operating in is that people think that leaders should know the answer. 
They think that by the time they get to a position of leadership, they should know the right thing to do. And the leaders are contributing to this, as are the employees. So it's a paradigm that both are contributing to. But in these VUCA conditions, leaders feel this intense pressure to know what to do, to know the right answer. And when we're dealing with VUCA, there actually isn't one right answer. There are lots of different possibilities. And it requires a diversity of perspectives to come together and determine what's the best possible step forward, not the right one, but the best one. What can we test and experiment with? But it creates this really strange situation where we're in these VUCA conditions. And as you point out, the VUCA is exponential. It's the leader's VUCA and then it's everyone else's. But the leaders are in a paradigm where they're expected to know the right answer. And so they feel this pressure and it can, it can really exacerbate the problems they're trying to solve. So it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. So you sort of hit on this a little bit, but I'd like you to expand on it if you could. So we accept the premise that we are in a VUCA world and it's exponential, as, as you said. How does one go about dealing with that? If, so, if I work with you, how do you help me deal in this VUCA world? Well, you talked at the beginning about um, how I'm a, my, my background is actually in triathlon, high-performance sports. So starting in 2002, I began competing in triathlons. And in 2008, I did the Ironman triathlon in Florida. And in 2006, became a USA triathlon certified coach. So I actually come at leadership coaching from the standpoint of performance. I want my athletes, in this case, the leaders, to actually know whether or not they're a better leader quantitatively. I want them to be able to, to know not only anecdotally am I performing better, but I want to show them that they are. So the question you asked is, how, how do you work with, how do I work with the leaders that I work with? Well, if we believe that the three beliefs uh, fully integrated are the world is complex, it's VUCA. Second is our minds don't like complexity. The third one is the key. The mind can be retrained to thrive in complexity. And that's, that's the difference that I find with my coaching and other types of coaching is I really come at it from a performance-based model because it's based in neuroscience. It's based in a process called neuroplasticity, which is for a long time, we thought that the brain was static once we got to about the age of 20. But what we now realize is that the brain is plastic and it can actually learn to thrive in more complexity over time. So my coaching is about understanding where the leader is by doing a battery of assessments at the beginning, developing a roadmap that's going to actually develop the skills they need to have to thrive in VUCA. And then we're in the gym together. So the way that we do it is we have practices that are very fundamental practices. Let me give you an example. Mindfulness. It's something that is a hot topic in today's world. There's a lot of people saying that you need to have a mindfulness practice. I require my coaching clients to have a mindfulness practice, and here's why. When we do a mindfulness practice, every time we're focused on the breath, and then we lose our focus and we bring it back, it's like doing a bicep curl for your brain. It is training the attention centers in your brain to be able to pay attention and stay present more often. And the leader who can stay present to their own thoughts, their own emotions, their own bodily sensations, the perspectives of people around them, those are the leaders that are going to thrive in VUCA. So my coaching becomes about giving them specific activities that are designed to build new neural pathways in their brain. So that at the end of the coaching, their brain is actually different than it was at the beginning. 
And we can quantitatively show that by giving them the, these batteries of assessments again and showing them they have quantitatively grown in their leadership skills. So that's just one example as a mindfulness practice. Another example uh, that I get them to do is I get them to do something called the left-hand column exercise. Draw a line down the middle of a piece of paper. On the right side, what I want you to record during a meeting is what's happening in the meeting. What are the observable things that are happening around you? This person said this, then I said this, I saw this person shift in their seat, so all the things you can see. On the left side, I want you to write down, what are you thinking? What emotions are you experiencing? What bodily sensations are you having during that process? And what we start to understand is the internal and the external, they're interacting with each other. But it's important to know both. It's important to become aware of your internal that's leading to the external behaviors that are happening around you. So it's very much an inside-out approach. So those are just a couple of examples that in my coaching is very much built on how do we build new neural pathways in your brain that actually give you new skills and give your brain a new way of functioning to thrive in VUCA conditions. Now, does this lead into the two aspects I read online about fully integrated coaching, integral theory and the adult development theory. Is this part of that or are those separate? No, it's, it's, those are, if you think about the building of a house, those are kind of the foundation of the house for me. So my classical training as a coach, as you said in the beginning, I hold a couple of leadership coaching certifications. One of them is in something called integral theory. And another is in something called developmental theory. So I'll just talk briefly about each of these. So integral theory is basically it's a theory of holes, uh, seeing whole systems. My, my training is in something called systems thinking, which is how do we, rather than reacting to events that are happening around us, how do we take a step back and say, what are the underlying patterns and structures that are causing this event to happen? There's a saying in systems thinking that every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. So what I train my, my and you hear me saying train because I very much have that performance background. What I train my clients to do is to take a step back and say, why is this happening rather than just being in reaction mode? Integral theory is, was originally actually a philosophy. And it's a philosophy that some of your listeners may have heard of a guy named Ken Wilbur who was really one of the architects of integral theory. If, you got, if, you, if you're listening out there, if you have a piece of paper in front of you, and even for you, Brian, if you just draw a simple quadrant, just a four-quadrant model on a piece of paper, so you've got just a big plus sign, right? So integral theory builds off of the, this, this, uh, this plus sign. This is a great model for people to use out there. So in the upper left quadrant, what I want you to write is individual interior. Okay. Okay. In the upper right, I want you to write individual exterior. In the lower left, I want you to write collective interior. And in the lower right, I want you to like write collective exterior. So what we're looking at here is what we recognize is that in any given situation, integral theory calls on us to recognize that all four of these quadrants are what they call co-arising at one time. So what this means is we pay a lot of attention to those two right-hand quadrants. So the upper right quadrant, what, are, what am I doing? What are other people doing? What can I observe about what, what's happening around me? And then the lower right, what is the environment? What are the laws? What are the structures? What are the guidelines? 
all the collective exterior things that I can view about this situation. In the upper left, though, the individual interior, I also have my own thoughts. I have my feelings. I have my emotions. I have my level of self-awareness. So that's also happening. And then the lower left is what we would call culture, which is the collective beliefs, the collective mindsets, the collective assumptions that lead to this system operating the way that it is. So integral theory calls on us to look at all four of these quadrants and recognize that each of us has one quadrant we typically look through, and it actually helps the client to round out and see it from all four. So take a whole systems view. How do you find that this changes people's perspective when you work with them? So a couple of ways. One is that, again, like I said in the beginning, if you go back to these three fundamental beliefs, the second belief being our minds don't like complexity. Our minds like a simple cause and effect story. They like to believe that what we do in the short term will have long-term benefits. Uh, we like to, to do as much as we can, as quickly as we can. This is the way our mind works. Um, and what this helps us to do by having this map and by having this understanding of integral theory, it helps us to take a step back and say, rather than reacting moment to moment to what's happening, rather than reacting to every event and just being in that exhausting mode of I'm reacting to everything, it requires us to take a step back and this map helps us look at it and say, what is it that's causing this to happen in the first place? What, is, what are some of the patterns that I'm seeing here that are happening over time? So that's one way it helps us is by zooming out and seeing what we call the system. And then second is it helps us see that we have a rather myopic way of looking at the world. And that's based on past experiences we've had as children and growing up that we tend to favor one of these quadrants over the other ones. So a person who, for instance, favors the upper right quadrant, that, that individual exterior, what are people doing? What they are very focused on is what, what's their to-do list? What actions do they need to get done? Uh, they're very focused on their, their, their activity. And what they're missing in that is they're missing what are, the, what are the emotions that I'm experiencing? What is my emotional awareness of myself and other people? What is the culture of this place? And how is that manifesting the way that, that people are showing up? And how is that pushing me? So this helps them to also see themselves. So it helps them to see systems. It also helps them with their self-awareness. So can you tell us a little bit about adult development theory? Yeah, so adult development theory, Brian, is um, the, the, the belief that, like I talked about before, that our brains actually can increase their capacity for taking on more complexity. And so adult development theory, rather than development being random, we think of development of children, for instance, as being something that you can follow patterns, where you can see that children in their early ages are uh, really looking to construct reality around them. And then they start to conform to their social group. So you see these patterns happening as children. Well, they happen as adults, too. And it was coined by a guy named Robert Keegan out of Harvard, adult development theory. There's now been a lot of people who have followed in his footsteps um, who are doing adult de developmental theory. But it shows us that as adults, there are, at what Keegan talks about is there are three levels of adult development that happen for us starting around our, our 20s. And not everyone goes through all three of these levels that I'm going to talk about, but I'll just give you a quick archetype of the three levels. So the first is what Keegan calls the socialized mind. So in the socialized mind, the authority for this person is external to themselves. 
So if someone that they trust tells them that something is true, then they believe that it is true. Um, they are rather short-term in their thinking. They are great team members. They're great at getting stuff done, but they really need other people to tell them what to do. So that's the socialized mind. There's a significant shift that happens that Keegan talks about that can happen for people that they move into something called the self-authoring mind, which is now I'm no longer taking truth from outside of myself. I now hold the truth inside of me. So people at this level of thinking now have a very strong moral compass or way of thinking about things. They know what is true. It's hard to change their mind. If you watch whatever news program you like to watch, two talking heads talking to each other, where they just can't convince each the other one that they're they're wrong. That's right. the self-authoring mind you can see playing itself out. So it's a very celebrated American way of thinking, which is my way of thinking is right. There's a third level of development that Keegan talks about, which is called the self-transforming mind. The self-transforming mind now understands that both their own perspective as well as perspectives outside of themselves are each coloring part of the truth. They're bringing, a, bringing the truth together. So this perspective is multifaceted. So they can both change their own perspective based on new information. Uh, they're looking more long-term and they're taking that systems approach to things. So these are the three levels of development that I use to place where is the leader that I'm working with now and how do we give them just enough of an edge to start to lean into that next level of thinking. The, the challenge with development, developmental theory is if you think about statistics, Statistics are about 5% of leaders, probably even probably less than that, are at that self-transforming mind. A vast majority of leaders are in the self-authoring mind or even still in the socialized mind. So we are dealing with a world that is asking leaders to be very complex, to think in systemic ways. And we're operating a lot of the times at those, that first or that second level of development. So my job as a coach is to understand where are they and then give them training programs to move them up because we really do need, in order to solve the complex challenges of our time, we need more people operating in that self-transforming mind. So I want to bring it back to the triathlon level for a moment. I, I think we talked about this a little bit. I'm more of a casual runner. Uh, I did run one marathon a few years ago, but certainly nothing like a triathlon. But I found it in many ways to be obviously an individual sport. So one might not think that the concepts of leadership apply because there is no quote unquote team, at least that's visible. So how do you take something that's so individual and tie it into leadership? Uh, that's a great question. And um, I'll say a couple things. One, the parallel that I see to triathlon is, um, first of all, when you go out to a triathlon, um, I, I remember doing the Ironman in Florida in 2008. And yes, it is an individual sport, but you show up on the morning. I remember showing up the morning of the triathlon and there's 2000 people that are going to be racing together. And I walked onto the beach in Panama City. and I think it was, I think it was 1,700 or 1,800 athletes. And what you do in the Ironman is they play the national anthem, they fire off a cannon, and everybody runs into the water and is swimming at the same time. So if you can imagine 1,700, 1,800 athletes all going into the water at the same time, and you would expect that there's going to be just this horrible experience of churn and everybody beating each other up. 
But what you find is, in such an individual sport, I stepped onto that beach. There wasn't a person that I looked into their eyes that didn't say something like, hey, good luck today. You got it. High five. A hug from a couple of people that I didn't know. So yes, it is a very individual sport, but there's this collective mentality that is in triathlon that I just love. And same thing when I was on the bike. People just encouraging you as you go by them on the bike. Um, same thing on the run, high-fiving each other as we're running. So that's the first thing is there is this perception that it's this individual sport. But the second thing I'll say is that the parallel for me between triathlon and leadership is there are different levels of triathlon races. So the first level is what we call a sprint race. Then you move up to the Olympic or the international distance, then the half Ironman, and then the Ironman. At every level of the sport, when I move from a sprint to an Olympic, Olympic to half Ironman, half Ironman to Ironman, every time it required the acquisition of new skills for me to be able to do it. To do a sprint race, you basically got to have some goggles, you got to have a bike, and you got to have some running shoes. You can go out and do it. When you move up to the next level, you really have to start getting into the skill of nutrition and hydration because you're out there for two and a half or three hours. When you move up to the half Ironman, you're out there for five, seven, eight hours for some of the athletes. You've got to get into not just the nutrition and hydration, you've got to get into the more kind of mindfulness or um, spirit of what I call spiritual intelligence, the self-awareness. When you move up to the Ironman, you're now at a level of the race almost becomes less of a physical race and more of a mental race. So what is the mental preparation that you need to do? You've got to become a pseudo bike mechanic. So you become this, you have to acquire these new skills at every level of complexity because the race is more complex. As you get longer, there are more people, there's more wind conditions, there's more uh, possible things that could go wrong. I got a flat tire on the bike at 95 miles into a 112 mile bike ride of the Ironman. You got to deal with those situations as they come up. So the parallel to me with leadership is at every level of leadership, the complexity grows. But yet the mm -hmm. challenge is, is that we're not training our leaders to acquire the new skills that they need at every level of leadership. We're basically saying, you've got these few skills, go do them more. And what I'm saying is in a VUCA world, you need to acquire new skills. Because by the time we get to the highest levels of leadership, we're talking about doing an Ironman when it comes to leadership. We're talking about dealing with lots of complexity. And so my, my training, my coaching is about helping these leaders acquire the new skills because I'm preparing them to run an Ironman. I'm not preparing them to run a five-kilometer race. So that's just a couple of parallels as I think about it. And that makes a lot of sense. The other thing I found, again, from my simple experience, but even to do a marathon is people always ask me, how do you do that? And they don't realize that you don't just hop out of bed one day and do it. What it takes really is extreme discipline uh, because you're going to have to get up and run some days when you don't want to. You're going to have to give up some things to go do it. Now, I can imagine for a triathlon, again, that's exponential. So does the discipline lesson come into it as well? The discipline is huge. I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. Thank you. And um, I, if if some of my clients were on this call right now, they would tell you that one of the things that I do for them is I hold them accountable. Um, and I think that's what people pay a coach to do is to hold them accountable. So I, again, bring that 
triathlon background that I, I'm a very high touch coach. I talk with my, my clients, my athletes, uh, in this case, I talk with them about every two weeks is, is usually the time period I like to be talking with them. And the reason is I'm giving them training programs to go and do, and they've got to do them. And if they don't do them, then what I say to them is, then you're not going to be ready for the race. You're not going to be ready to perform. And so for me, it's, I love the analogy that you put out there. It's like some days I get up and I don't want to do this. What I say to my athletes is, or to my clients, you got to get up today and you've got to do your mindfulness work. You've got to work on the self-awareness piece. I know you don't want to do it. I know this, you've got other things to do. But you've got to have the discipline because we are acquiring new skills. And every time you do this skill, you are creating those new neural pathways. You're doing those bicep curls for your brain so that you can thrive in these VUCA conditions. So, yeah, discipline's a huge part of the, of the program. We're getting towards the end of our time. I've got a couple more questions I'd like to ask you. Great. First, of, first of all, what does the future look like for David? I think the future is continuing to do what I'm doing, Brian. I I want to I want to scale my message and my impact as much as possible. Um, you know, I I started this podcast off with talking about my son Colden. He's he's now eight and a half, um, and I think about the future, uh, the world that he's inheriting, and I think about some of the most pressing challenges that we face as human beings today around uh, climate change and you know, global famine and uh, just inequality and think about the world that he's going to be inheriting. And so I think what I'm doing today is I'm trying to help grow new leadership competencies so that we can make better decisions about the future of our planet. Our planet has shifted in terms of the power structure. The nexus of power in our planet used to be in local communities and governments. I now believe that our that the nexus of power lies in corporations. There are some corporations that have that produce more profits than some countries do. Um, so we've now shifted the the balance of power over to companies. So for me, working with leaders in companies is the biggest impact I can have because leaders are shaping the future of the planet. So if we can create more conscious leaders, leaders who are aware of themselves, aware of others, and aware of the systems that they're operating in, and aware of the impact the decisions that they're making have on the planet, I can't think of a better place for me to be working. So that's, that's one place I want to continue to focus is working with individual leaders. I also want to be doing more, um, more just kind of open source information for people that are out there that are, that are dealing with VUCA because it's not just leaders. Like I, I talked about my wife, Anne. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's no one that deals with more VUCA than a a stay-at-home mom um, that is running the household, doing all the things that she is doing. And I'm so incredibly grateful for her and and for what she does. So the other part of what I want to do is talk about how how can everybody train their minds to thrive in VUCA? Uh, and how can I put a message out there that serves people? So it's very much an act of service. So that's that's what I see the future holding for me. That's fantastic. If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell the younger self? That 99% of the things that we fear never come true. Uh, that, that, that you have a calling, David. You have a, a, a calling to help people. You always have. We talk about 
you hear people talk about that you should do what you've always been passionate about. Even as a child, I was passionate about understanding what makes people work. Why do they think the way they think? I have this intuitive ability to connect with people. So I would have gone back 10 years ago and said, don't be so afraid to bring your gift to the world. Uh, there, there is a gift that each of us has. You have a, uh, an opportunity to serve here. Uh, and so don't be afraid to bring those gifts fully into the world. So fear grips so much of us, Brian. It's, uh, it's again, it's our brain doing what it's supposed to do. Our brain is this survival organ that is either looking for threats or opportunities. And I would say 10 years ago, my brain was much more in threat mode and it's much more in opportunity mode today. And so I would go back and say, hey, your brain's doing its job, but it's doing its job a little too hard and you don't need to listen to it all the time. That is 100% relatable, I think, for a lot of us. So where can people find you online? Yeah, so I'm at uh, www.fullyintegratedleadership.com. So you can find my website there. Uh, It has kind of an explanation of the story. A lot of what we talked about today gets into more detail. I want this website to be a learning resource for people to go to. So you can read many of the blog posts that are there. It also has a description of what my coaching entails, the assessments that we use to, again, quantitatively place where you are as a leader. I can tell you after three assessments how effective of a leader you are in VUCA, and then we can develop a roadmap to get you to where you need to be. So www.fullyintegratedleadership.com. And so if there's somebody out there thinking this David guy sounds like he's on the right track, I want to work with him. Is that where they should go? That's where they should go. I am uh, deeply passionate about talking about this stuff. So I even say to folks, if you just want to have a conversation to explore your own experience of VUCA, uh, I love to talk about that. I think it's what I was called here to do. Uh, So if you want to have a conversation, learn more about it, talk about your situation. I'm happy to have a conversation and then figure out whether there's a, a coaching program that can work for you. Well, this has been a value-packed few minutes, and I want to thank you, David, for being on. I've learned a lot, and I know our listeners will, too. Well, Brian, thank you, and I'm appreciative of the word impact being in your podcast because I think that's really what this is about is how do we scale to have greater impact on leaders and on the planet. So just appreciate you taking the time, and thanks for what you're doing what you're doing. Well, that was David Daniel, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Certainly a lot of wisdom and knowledge dropped in those few minutes. I'm Brian Rollo, and you can find me at brianrollo.com. Email me at brian at brianrollo.com. If you have the chance, give us a review on iTunes. We're also on Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much everywhere else where you can find podcasts. So drop us a review if you can in a rating. It would help tremendously. And go out there, lead with impact, and have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow.